creating better businesses with Discovery Business Insurance. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthy Business Show brought to you by Discovery Business Insurance. Today I am excited to have a disruptive thinker, cultural creative, business architect, ideation activist and public speaker, Cesar Kele Maritlule, on why it's so critical to get your team right from the get-go. Cesar Kele has over 23 years of experience in the business leadership, brand building, innovation and people development universes. Cesar Kele, so good to see you again and uh, so good to have you back in the hot seat about to embark on a, on a conversation around, around people and culture and defining culture and, uh, and what it takes to, to get the best people and get the best out of people. And, uh, and so welcome, welcome back. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, always a pleasure. What I want to start off with is to really just touch upon, I think, where you come from. I wanted to, to delve into how your origin story has really informed the work that you're doing now. It's, it's always joyful, I guess, when you get to um, a certain point in your life and can look back and you've got enough runway behind you to then start adding up the pieces. I'm like, oh, these dots are connected to these dots and therefore this is where we are. Sure. But I remember as a, as a kid who was sent off to Swaziland to study, um, at the time my mother figured that just the quality of education would be um, significantly better than what was offered here. How old um, were you then? I was about seven. Okay. I mean, given our history, we know what that was like. But what was beautiful about leaving home that early and staying away until you graduate is you learn a couple of things. You learn self-reliance very, very quickly. In boarding school, you also learn how to make friends or how not to make friends. I just decided that I was never going to be cool enough because we didn't have enough money for me to wear the latest clothes, but I was going to be the smartest. Nice. So I picked a lane. Nice. I, picked, I picked the brain power because that stuff lasts a lot longer than fashion. Knowing how to navigate space was important as Swaziland didn't have what we had here, which are issues of racial intolerance and just navigating spaces. So you you learn very quickly how to behave in place. But also what you learn is the power of self-drive. Sure. You know, my mother wasn't around to compel me to do my homework. So I had to drive myself. Um, and I knew that there wasn't enough money for me to repeat a grade. So you had better do well. So there were there were fundamental things that came from that time in my life. In addition to that was just a, an appreciation for how, how things get better when we have an understanding of who you are and where you come from, right? So we just don't look at the girl who's got torn shoes and go, huh, huh, it's funny she has torn shoes. Lean into that story a bit and develop and grow your, your muscle of compassion. So that's been at least the mixture that's gotten me to just try and be a decent human being throughout. Gotcha. Self-reliance and, and also resilience, I suppose, yes. and, yeah. and really the grit that's informed your considerable entrepreneurial career and also obviously now as a consultant and mentor to, to others. Yeah. Well, first of all, are you having fun? <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun. Um, and let's, let's contextualize that because sometimes it's not fun, ha-ha. Sometimes it's fun, I didn't know I could do this. Yeah. Or it's fun of discovery. It's fun of, of just looking into a, a, the same thing and going, I actually didn't imagine that if we turn this table around, it alters the feng shui in the room. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So my, my sense of fun comes from discovery. It also comes from this idea that we're moving things forward. And do you um, feel like you're in purpose? I mean, yeah. doing the work that you're it doing, is, right? It is totally aligned. I mean, I, 
until the age of 30. I've told the story before. I was known by another name, which I will not repeat because then the millions who will listen to this will know this name and I will never live it down. So when I turned 30, which was yesterday, I decided that I was going to use my middle name, which is Cizagel. And Cizagel is a name that my grandmother gave me. And it has a lot more purpose and meaning behind it because essentially it says to the mother, you now have somebody who can be of assistance or help in the family. Beyond just the domestic assistance, the help with the cooking, crabbing and screening, what has been important for me was to understand what quality and depth of influence I can be. So then I picked a word and I just thought, I'm never going to try and and write like a, a vision statement of 20 lines. Let me just pick a word that can help inform my choice architecture. And that word was influence. So I used that word as a lens how I choose assignments, how I choose people, how I choose environments, how I choose partnerships. Can I be of positive influence? Then I will lean in. If not, then I will depart. So this idea of of the work that we do today is on purpose because it, it fits into the are you being of positive influence. That's such a powerful yardstick to measure yourself by and, and also to drive you and keep you aligned, I yeah. suppose. And I mean, in terms of the work that you're doing and particularly empowering female leadership, are you seeing progress in the work that you do? I am seeing encouraging signs. Uh, progress is difficult for somebody like me, because at times I can be impatient. So you have to be okay with defining success through the lens of the entrepreneur, right? Versus your own determination of success means 10 cars or success means 10 calls, success means a million uh, properties around the world. When you're working with people who have gotten off the grid, as it were, and have said the rat race isn't mine, I'm just going to go in and do something on my own, their sense of success is defined by them. Gotcha. And it's respectful to, to seek an understanding of what success looks like for you versus me coming in and saying, this is what constitutes success. And can we just, just touch upon that word Entrepreneur. I love the way you say it. You say yes. it so much better than I do. It sounds like Entrepreneur. French and, uh, and just to unpack that, what that means, because that's obviously a very central theme to the work that you're doing. In the same way that not all women are feminists, not all women entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs, right? And, uh, and what we have found is that the, the entrepreneur community almost has five distinct features. So there's this idea of of an, an understanding of your gift. I have a gift to give to the world and I will use that to deliver some greatness and with that greatness propel growth. And I understand that on the journey to growth, I may have some setbacks, so I would need to develop a truly, truly strong sense of grit. And out of that, I must remain generous. So this idea of just weaving those five Gs into a, an archetype, and we're starting to see more and more that the women that we're bringing into our community, those are the features we look for because that is what informs our investment and our partnership strategies. Wow, that's very powerful. Yeah. And I mean, just taking your own experience into account, you led a team of scrappy creatives and advertisers at one of the most iconic and fabled agencies in our history, you know, at a time that was extremely challenging, there were all these pitfalls and, and hurdles and, and so on. What, what was it like building a team in that environment? Do you know, because we were, um, the founders were always very clear that Herdboys was always going to be a, 
an agency that put the consumer who was black first, but not to the exclusion of everyone else, right? So eventually we won the financial mail uh, most racially integrated agency because the idea wasn't to have a black firm. The idea was to have a firm that understood blackness in its totality. Um, so creating a team was about finding people who just firstly identified as African and two, they just said, I don't know enough, but I want to learn. Um, mm. You know, or I know a little bit and I'd love to contribute. So we had we had people who were from all shapes, I promise. I mean, whether you were a racially different person, uh, shape, size, level of hygiene, because we also have variance in level of hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> in all corporate teams, <laughs> yes. Yes, like, what was fantastic was uniting people against and behind a single vision which is we will do work that shows the consumer who's black in the best light possible mm. because it has to start to reflect the people we are, right? Mm. And you can't be reductive about those sort of things. So the work we wanted to do was work that was a lot more substantial than that. So the work that we finally get, got to do on Sprite or SAA or um, wonderful HCOM or the SABC, all that body of work, if you look at it today, was telling a story that still hasn't been told properly. Mm. Yeah. And that's amazing. And there's that spirit of generosity and togetherness that you espoused, which, you know, it led to this considerable experience. And within that experience, I mean, what do you believe are the real key aspects to both building a team and I suppose leading a team? The first bit is you have to be a good casting agent. Okay. Um, th there's a lot we can learn from Hollywood. There's a lot we can learn from so TV production. So kind of production. think about your story you and your have, script you and who your to characters think about are. Exactly, and where everybody fits. Gotcha. Because if you, if you don't uh, balance talent, attitude, temperament, and life experience, then you're, you're going to have a group of people who work together but don't necessarily like one another. If people can't jam together it's always going to feel fake. It's always going to feel hard. Because that's what, it's prob probably one of the best pieces of advice I've received about building a team is to actually really understand what your message is and look at it as a script from a yeah. Hollywood story, yeah. right? Because if you don't have that, people are just going to latch on and not really understand what they're doing within this kind of grand theater, you know? And, and organize people according to their strengths. Sure. You know, the person who is good with admin, don't ask her to take a, a chance at copyright. To be the Instagram Do you know what I mean? Like, do, let's <laughs> not just do, yeah. And so, so the first things you I, I have found really work is ask people what gets them excited. Sure. And see whether the role you have will contribute to sustaining that mm. level of excitement. You also need to have an honest conversation, which is work isn't always about excitement there's the piece that's called the grind and I want you to show up for that as well mm. so you I, I make a commitment that says I will invest in you for as long as you show up for yourself mm. right so you're looking for people who can show up for themselves you're also looking for people who take for whom integrity is important so this idea of shared values right mm. so let's have a values conversation I think that when we're recruiting we're so focused on the role, we don't have a conversation about values. Mm. Right? Because values are how you and I will succeed or not succeed. Right? Sure. If you didn't say to me, in this business, we don't take brown envelopes, and I take an envelope because it gets us the bill, then I don't understand why you're unhappy. But you hadn't specified it to me up front that that is not how we work here. Mm. So I've heard people talk about the Microsoft way or the Apple way or the Google way. 
we giggle at those things because we think it's, it's some rah-rah stuff. But having people gather around a unifying mantra is a very powerful way of creating stickiness in a yeah. team. Yeah, that's great. The truth is you, you really do have to, you know, you got to get stuck into the hard yards and, uh, and, and dig the trenches. You know, it's not about just talking about stuff. You've actually got to do. And, um, and, uh, and the thing around values, I suppose, would it be accurate to say that if you have your values in place, you have, you know, an, an accurately defined, well-articulated cause, your mission, your purpose, your why, that will then attract the right people? It's, it's easier for you to then filter who fits and who doesn't fit. And you save both parties uh, the pain of having to divorce much later down the track, right? So sure. you, want to, you want to be certain that somebody, that firstly it has to be shared, but also that somebody has a, um, a, a, the same level of commitment about getting there and getting there the right way. Uh, whatever the there is for that team. The, the the other part which is really important is I've, I have found that the people who, who stay are the ones who focus on the giving because then the getting will take care of itself. Mm. So when someone enters a role and says, this is what I can contribute, that's a much more persuasive engagement for me to have rather than, so what is this role about? You know, I'm, I'm on 300 now, can I get 400? If, we, if that's the conversation we're having, then you and I don't belong that's together. That's amazing. And also, but just be careful around star talent um, because the, we also just, I think some leaders struggle with uh, Fred is the star talent, like Ronaldo is the star straight. talent. Yes. How do we keep him at the expense <laughs> of offending everybody else? Yeah, yeah, sure, like, sure. It's a dangerous thing to do because what happens is star talent then starts to believe he or she is untouchable. Right? So she doesn't rock up on time. She doesn't show up for the rehearsals. She, yeah. just, she just does what she wants because somebody told her that this agency is built on her creative talent. Cheapers. There's a lot of conversation around that. I mean, psychologists talk about this, thing, this concept of vicarious reinforcement yes. whereby you, as opposed to denigrating the one member of staff, you would then shower praise on the star yes. talent and thereby hopefully people would then want to be you know, to, to be receiving more that, of that, that type praise. of praise. And, and I'm guessing you don't necessarily share in that. I, I think it's just like parents. Uh, sibling rivalry is not because you and I don't get along. It's because our mother treats you, treats you differently than she treats me. Sure. Right? And thus leaders can also breed uh, this thing we call colleague rivalry. Mm. This idea that you get more of the light and therefore I'm not going to pass you the ball if you're Ronaldo, you go get the ball yourself, mm. right? So we have to be mindful in how we lead and how we, how we reward and how we praise That's to amazing, balance yeah. things out. And I think it speaks to your, yeah, the point around asking people what gets them going and yeah. as well as identifying what makes them strong. Yeah. You know, what is, where are their strengths? Because you know, by focusing on those, you're reinforcing the positive around that person and, and giving that person a better reason to come to work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Malcolm Gladwell spoke at a conference recently about, um, you know, we're moving into a weak link society, which, yeah. is, which is a good thing, you know, as opposed to, say, for example, in a sporting analogy, the old basketball teams we had like a Michael Jordan, yes. or, you know, um, you know, one of these great stars who would just, they by themselves would turn a team around. You know, now you look at the team being 
defined by the weakest link. And if you have a weak link, then you need to do what you can to uplift that person in order to bring them more closer to the mean. And therefore, your whole team will will be strengthened, right? That is true. And also what is wonderful is that the Kenneth Blanchard talks about situational leadership and situational leadership balances my experience and my tenure because you can't lead people the same way. There's a person who receives feedback in private and if you ever gave them feedback in a public setting, they would feel outed, mm. right? There's somebody else who receives feedback in writing versus in person because in person it feels harsh. So it's just about saying, how might I lead? And you have to lead in line with that person's social station. So mm. I know that Fred, uh, without his first two copies, he's grumpy, but also he may be super. <laughs> but also he may be super sensitive. You know me well. So, <laughs> so I'll give you feedback. I'll invite you for a walk because I know you love to walk. Yes. And on the walk, I can give you some feedback. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? So create the environment where the feedback can be received as it is intended. Sure. Yeah, I love that. That's very cool. And are we looking to? Uh, a time when we really need to be trying to pull the extraordinary out of people or do we need to automate everything? I believe in the human operating system, that it trumps everything. The human operating Operating system. system. It trumps everything because automation has no compassion. Automation has no imagination, right? Because it responds to what you input, but you are the human. And I honestly do believe that there's always going to be a role for the human being because that trumps the doing. Um, what, where, where I think we may have a lot of work to do is in helping one another remember that technology helps with contact, right? But relationship helps with connection. And that's relationships can only happen at the human level. Mm, that's very good. I love that. And I think at a time also when we are, there seems to be within a, you know, this this unprecedented time of of contact, yes. there also seems to be an unprecedented amount of conflict. Yes. As opposed to connection. Yes. Which which it's it's kind of um counterintuitive, I suppose. No, but if we're not talking, then it's easy for us to misunderstand one another. So like um if you drive towards Hyde Park, there's a gas station that always has these wonderful sayings written on the billboard. And the one from last week was let's eat, a po- um, comma, grandma, or let's eat grandma. And literally he was just saying punctuation could save lives. Punctuation <laughs> <laughs> matters. That's brilliant. Yeah. And, and that is what we lose when all we do is just trade on contact. Sure. Connection allows for me to contextualize what I'm saying, what I'm asking for, and, and how I'm giving you feedback. It's the nuances and the subtleties yes. around that human connection, yeah. which is so important. Yeah. And I suppose that also speaks again to having a team and your team members within a physical environment at least part of the time so that they can connect with each other and, yeah. and sharing in experiences, right? So that you can forge those connections more strongly and uh, in a in a more real way. I can see a lot of people saying we can work off-site, we can Skype, we can Zoom, we can do all these fantastic things. But there is a joy to coming into the room and just, because on the phone, even, even when I am on video with you, you could never sense my energy. You no. can only sense that when we're in the same room together, right? And that's the gift because energy travels, but also energy helps fuel 
whatever it is we're aiming to achieve. You know, thankfully, we can all agree now that diversity is is critical. And both nationally and globally, there's a lot of science, a lot of research that's coming out showing the importance of, of diversity as opposed to this kind of hom- homogenous workplace. And, and can you touch upon that and, and articulate in, in a way why that is so? Why, why should our listeners in South Africa lean into that challenge of diversity? So firstly, um, self-awareness will help you remember that you don't have the answers to everything, just as a given. You know, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're like, I'm fabulous, but I could be more fabulous if I had other people with me, right? So that's the first thing, just understanding (laughs) the limitations of your fabulousness. So so surrounding yourself (laughs) with copies of yourself is potentially not going to help that. No, 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 because fabulosity multiplied just doesn't really work. So that's the first bit. It's just learning your own limitations. And the second bit is also understanding that because there are, just like a, a block of cheddar, you've got gaps. And there are people who can fill those gaps to make the block of cheddar whole, right? Mm. And that's what we're looking for here. We're looking for wholeness. And that's why diversity presents. Diversity presents an opportunity to look at a whole picture. But I, I have a different take on that. I, I challenge leaders to look beyond just diversity into inclusion. Because here's the difference, uh, Fred. Diversity could be 12 different colored crayons in a box, right? But inclusion is every crayon has a chance of being used when you're mapping out a canvas. Mm. And, and that's what we need to go to. So it's not I've got 12 different colored crayons. No, it is every crayon has a fair chance of being integrated into this wonderful piece of work that we're creating as sure. an agency. We're moving into an increasingly more diverse world. And therefore, it stands to reason that the more diverse your team is, the more understanding your team will have of this world that we're moving into. What is your advice to leaders nowadays who have, you know, I mean, effectively, we're all just big kids, right? And, and we have those same fears as we had in the school, the schoolyard. Mm. So how do we push past that fear? Firstly, call it by name or it will plague you until death. So call your fear by name. Like, I, I don't understand this, Isagela. Please explain to me. Um, I, so that's the first part. The second part is withhold your judgment, right? Because I think part of our attention in this country and, and in our workplaces, because that's a microcosm of our society, is we infer judgment before understanding. So first seek to understand and then make a judgment call about whether I am a person you can get along with or not, but first seek to understand. Mm. Unfortunately, what we've done is we label first and then the understanding never comes. Then we trade on stereotypes and we think, oh, all white people who wear glasses and and white shirts, their names must be Fred. That's not true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. All black people don't go to therapy. Look at me. Yeah. I mean, like my when I start, it's a diversion. My therapist is very happy because she keeps me sane. But the point of it is we don't we we don't challenge ourselves to go to the places that scare us the most. Sure. It's such bro it's such obviously broken reasoning. Yet it's such a subconscious truth. But And it doesn't have to be, Fred, I know white people who haven't made black friends and I know black people who haven't made white friends because mm. like, it's too hard. They don't understand me. The reasons may be valid. The point is, until we can learn to co-create together, we're going to keep 
doing exactly what we're doing, which is throwing, hurling stones and accusations and all sorts of unkind things to one another. I've heard that within investment circles, it's believed that our biggest challenge is overcoming the diversity of our market here, as well as the work, the workforce, right? If we do succeed in overcoming, or when we do succeed in overcoming that challenge, we will be in a, a very advantageous position to, to be more technologically advanced mm -hmm. uh, and more and more creative in the solutions that we provide to the world. Of course, because the if, if you think about the world as an orchard, if we were all just to be mangoes for the rest of our lives, and there's no fruit salad, right? And there's no joy in that, right? <laughs> I just, I love mango, I can't have mango on yeah. own for the rest of my life. What tends to happen though, Fred, is uh, this idea of a confirmation bias. If I am fixed in a view I look for evidence that supports that view, right? If I'm fixed in this view that says I don't need other people, then of course I'm going to look for homogenous cultures and communities mm. to confirm the correctness of my exclusionary view. On the mm. other hand, we now know that if I am weak in the places where you are strong and you're strong in the places where I am weak, together we can do more. And diversity, I guess because of our history, we are obsessed with with just leaving it at the race front. Diversity comes from all sorts of things. It is, it is gender, it is class, it is education level, it is all these other dimensions that come to bear when you and I get to meet in the world of work. So my, my, I guess my call out here is before you knock it, you know, just commit your heart to it. So don't mm. do it as, a, as an exercise. But also, people function at the level of your expectations. If you think I will soar, of course I will. If you think I will flank, of course I will. Because energy travels. Cesar Keller, that's very powerful. I, I want to end off with um, asking you just some practical hacks to building culture, building a team, and attracting the right people. The first one is, um, if you're a leader of your business, please don't write the vision statement on your own. Because then if we make it a team effort, then we create room and space for everyone in the business to contribute to where we're headed. That's amazing. Um, the second piece is, once we have values, can there not be more than five at a stretch? And can we find the time to ask the person on the lowest ladder of the, of the organization what that value means to him or her? So let me give you an example. If you're a corporation with 300 people and you have 10 people who are drivers, go ask one of the drivers how the value of respect might play out for him or her, how the value of integrity might play out for him or her. Because what we tend to do is our privileged English-speaking selves just have this separate layer in the organization that if you get it, then it's fine. Nobody else has to understand it. Sure. But if we don't bring everyone along, then we're leaving some people behind. The third one, I guess, would be fail fast. You know, if you've made a bad call, decide quickly. I've seen people hang on to someone because it's going to be difficult to get rid of someone. No, 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 no. If your hiring process was fair and just, your dismissal process should also be fair and just. But make, a, I would rather lose the talented jerk 
than 99 people that I can go places with. Uh, why is that so damaging to an organization? Because it creates two classes. It creates people, this idea of law and order. Um, so the, the laws favor the talent. The rest of us must just adhere to order. Mm. You know, it creates two societies. It also creates, um, in the eyes of everyone else, a bifurcated view of you as the leader. Because what we're hearing is Fred is not consistent. Mm. With me, he yells. With Sarah, he hugs, mm. right? Fred doesn't keep his word. Sarah comes in late seven days a row. It's fine because her cat is sick. Zah comes in once because her grandmother's dead. It's like, how many grandmothers does Zah have? Mm. Do you see what I mean? So, sure. so leadership isn't just the things we say. Whether you and I like it, Fred, we are looked at even when we don't think we are. Mm. So you don't have a day off from leadership in the same way that you don't, excellence doesn't take a holiday. So you need to be consistent about yes. applying your values. Yeah, and, it, and, and a lot of that has to do with how you behave versus what you say and the length of your memos. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's action. It's not talk, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is going to be how you're judged yeah. at the end. Oh, but, but I guess another thing that might be interesting for people to also remember that I have had to learn the difference between correction and criticism. Because um, people respond better to correction than criticism. Because criticism is me attacking your person and correction is me focusing on the task that's great it's it's kind of like label the behavior and not the person yeah. right yeah. for sure yeah Cesar Kelly, thank you so much as usual you have bathed us in wisdom and we really appreciate you and the continuing work that you do it's just incredible and long may it continue and but thank, thank you thank you thank you thank you it's always a joy thanks so much for listening to this episode of the healthy business show if you love this podcast, do let us know via social media, tag at discovery underscore SA. Use the hashtag DSY Healthy Business. And please do rate us on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your shows. You can also find more shows on the Discovery website at discovery.co.za forward slash corporate forward slash podcasts. Creating better businesses with Discovery Business Insurance.